The Poke Support Podcast is sponsored by Downtown Barbershops here in Stillwater. You can check them out at 609 South Main Street. 609 South Main Street. Give them a call, 405-269-8590. Again, 405-269-8590. Downtownbarbershops.com. This is where Marshall and I, we get our haircuts. I've been getting my haircut here for... Goodness, six, seven years, I think. Uh, basically, since they opened, Randall, given the best haircuts in town, along with Joe and Rhonda, you can get children's haircuts, buzz haircuts, traditional haircuts, military, razor fades. Uh, you can get a mustache or a beard trim, and they've got spa services coming soon. I know Marshall's excited about some spa services. I mean, shoot, you want to freaking give me a spa? I'll get feeling right. Got to get ready for game day. But again, downtown barbershops here in Stillwater, Randall and the gang. Give you the best cut in town. Give them a call, 405-269-8590, located at 609 South Main Street here in Stillwater. You can check them out at downtownbarbershops.com. Welcome into the Pokes Report podcast. My name is Zach Lancaster alongside Marshall Levinson. Marshall is back from taking care of some stuff last week. We talked about it before the show. Guess what, folks? Everything's okay. Marshall's baby is going to be just fine. Isn't that right, Marshall? Yeah, I mean. And by baby, I mean car. Yeah, the car. <laughs> um, which is my baby right now. Um, but yeah, some interesting issues with the car, but we got it fixed, and we're getting it back tomorrow, so we're good. Nothing quite like getting your car back from the shop and knowing that everything is running smooth. I love it. I hate I, I hate that a, your car had to go into the shop, but it's it's nice that uh, it's nice that everything's squared away because you'll need it. You're gonna make your way over to Bigsby tomorrow for the the Bigsby Stillwater game. Always one of the best games of the year. It's kind of like uh, kind of like Bigsby Jinx. There's just something about it. The past three or four years that Stillwater Bigsby has been one of the premier Oklahoma high school football games, and and there's a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, this year kind of this year maybe doesn't have as much hype going into the game. Sure. Um but not necessarily meaning that there's less talent in this game. I mean, there's we got we got dudes all over the field, obviously the the main two that we will be that concern us being uh Oklahoma State commit Braylon Presley and commit which is on Bixby and then commit at linebacker with uh, Gabe Brown on Stillwater. And then you also got guys like Luke Haas committed to OU. And mm-hmm. now you have Zach Blankenship, who also plays for Bixie, who's committed to Oklahoma State for wrestling as of today. Um, so, I mean, you got the, the baby Gundy at quarterback for Stillwater with uh, with Gage throwing it around now. So, still going to be a, an interesting game, as, as we always see every year. Even there, So, there may not be the – the shininess and the hype that normally goes into a playoff game between these two teams, but it's going to be fun uh, nonetheless. Yeah, you know, and, and we'll dig into we'll dig into the Oklahoma State Tulsa breakdown here in just a second. But you know, you mentioned Baby Gundy. You know, Gage is back there, and and there's a lot of talk. You know, he could end up being better than Gunner was, and and that's that's a tall order. You know, Gunner took took uh, Oklahoma State. Gunner took Stillwater to to new heights. Really, really good, but I mean, you look at Gage's size, you look at his arm strength, you look at his maneuver. Baseball skills obviously play over. You look at the uncertainty. You mentioned that. I, I think a lot of that just has to do with 
you just look at the talent that's still water lost over the past couple of years. You know, Quantrell Walker's no longer there. Luke McIndoe, one of the, the better two-way players in the state the past couple of years. Obviously, Gunner, Anthony Bland was really, really good. You just got a lot of younger guys, a lot of new faces that need to be, uh, they need to prove themselves. But you look at what Stillwater's done the past couple of weeks, and they've been pretty solid. I, I think I think Stillwater's going to be pretty good, and looking forward to seeing how the rest of this season plays out. Yeah, I mean, it, these two are always the two of the main powers that we watch, and I don't have any reason to believe that that changes as far as how this season wraps up. I think they're both going to be in the mix for, for state titles. And, um, I mean, there's a pretty good chance that the other one knocks the other – like one of them knocks the other one out of that race. Um, I, th- I think that's so, a pretty – I think that's a pretty solid – I think that's a pretty solid estimation. I mean, you look at and, it. I mean, at this point, it's not even – it's more of a – I guess it would say it's more of a prediction than – or it's more of a hunch than a prediction. Sure. I mean, and you over got... the past few years, it's really – I mean, it's proven to be what just kind of happens right now. Yeah, you like Choctaw's coming on at strong. At that level, yeah, I mean, Choctaw's, Choctaw's going to gonna make a run for it. I mean, they were in it last year. Um, they were in the state title. Um, against Bixby, and and that was a good game. That was so a really I mean, good game. Choctaw Choctaw's got a really talented quarterback in Steel Wassel and defensive end Deshaun Brown, and they've got some other dudes over there that are gonna um, put some pressure on both of those teams. But I mean, in reality, I I really don't see Bixby no. drop dropping the ball. No, so, this is this is their this is their title to it's their title to lose, and I think that's. You obviously want to play the best every year, and I talked to Braylon about it a few weeks ago. The Bigsby making the bump up, you know, to the to the higher classification. They're going to be playing Jinx and Owasso, and can you imagine? You imagine just how good that would be. Like if and 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 he was like, "Are you kind of disappointed that you're not going to get a chance to to play against some of those top teams every year to compete for a title?" And he was like, "Yeah, I kind of wish I had another year of eligibility." A Bigsby Owasso game. To, to decide the to decide the state championship game, my goodness, yeah, I'm telling you, man, that's a matchup right there. But speaking of, we're gonna shift over to in state here. Oklahoma State uh, they take care of business against Tulsa, 28-23. Certainly not the final score that a lot of people were thinking. I know I wasn't thinking it. I was a what I say, 28-13, 20. I think I think is what it was, 28. Somewhere in that range, give or give or take. Um, you were a little more outlandish, which yeah, I, uh, I I got proven wrong a little bit. Well, and and here's the thing, it's still like you go back to before the game, and it's starting to look less like an anomaly. But that's what I chalked up the Missouri State game to, because you look at the returning personnel at at, a, at multiple facets on the offense. The offensive line has two solid guys in Danny Godlevsky and Josh Josh Sills. You return a lot of talent that played a lot last year. You know, Hunter Woodard's been out for a few weeks, but, you know, once he comes back, that's another huge piece. The, it's not like you got a bunch of young guys at running back. You know, you've got some experience. It just – the run game, it doesn't make any sense. And so you look at going into – you look at going into the Tulsa game, you get Spencer Sanders back. You know, he's – he had a, a really, really good Miami game, and that looked to that looked to be really good. And, and then all of a sudden you don't have Tay Martin. And you know, and you don't have Braden Johnson, and you don't have Blaine Green, and and all of a sudden, 
you're you're lacking on offense and you're you're struggling to put up yards and going into going into halftime, you know, you're you're tied 7-7 and it just it doesn't make a lot of sense. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, you explode there in the fourth quarter and and that really that that was huge. You know, you the the run back by LD, but you finish total yardage. I I'd have to go through it, you know, and I and I I'm not saying that this is a first, but you finish with 272 total yards. You know, only 99 on the ground with four pretty solid backs with you know, Spencer, you know, he picked up 25 on the ground, but Jalen Warren was the leading rusher with 37 yards. So it's going into it. I, I don't think that your score prediction was over, you know, was overly outlandish considering this on paper is, is a much better team than Tulsa. And, and so far there's that slow start to the season offensively continues. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of, if you, you can look at certain points in the game where it's we could have gone up by more than we ended up doing, right? I mean, we had a fumble recovery that originally we thought Oklahoma State got the ball. Well, then they said it was Tulsa's, and it was like, okay, well, we would have had that at like the 30 or the 40. And then Jason Taylor yeah, has a pick six that gets called back. You and called it's like, it. Okay, well, that, w- that would yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, like, okay, well, there's points that would have been on the board. And with, with those kinds of plays – comes momentum right so when you kind of assert your dominance like that and you're getting turnovers everything kind of starts to flow a little bit better you're in better field percentage you're everyone has uh, kind of some some influence and some some mojo going well when those things get taken away due to like holding penalties or just whatever it may be it kind of it stunts the game so it, it slows everything down you're not able to get as much of a a, a groove going so I mean at times it looked like there were some some plays that could have opened it up for the Cowboys but I mean for multiple reasons that just didn't happen and um, then you can't really get the running game going over the course of the game so um, there's there's just some things that that happen in football that that slow those things down I mean it is what it is but they luckily they uh, they came out with the victory and um kind of scratch one off again. Yeah, and and you know, I talked about it on the on the radio show this afternoon, the afternoon sports drive on Triple Play Sports. There's only so much in my opinion anyway. There's only so much that this defense is going to be able to do. Right? I mean, the the defensive line, you, you obviously you're without Trace Ford, but Colin Oliver's starting to step up, Tyler Lacey, Tyron Irby, uh, Nathan Latou is starting to make some plays. Linebackers are really, really solid. One of the deepest back ends. I mean, you you we go back to the Tulsa game. Trey Sterling out the entire first half. <laughs> Jason Taylor nearly has two pick sixes. One of them was a pick six. It was called back on a defensive hold. And then right before half, nearly had you know he's a a half step away from picking mm-hmm. off another pass. And if he has that, if he has that second pick, he's gone. He's housing it because there's no one in front of him. So. You look at, and I asked Colby about it at the player availability on Tuesday. You know, he he had mentioned Jason, and they'd been talking about about uh, JT, and and I said, so you look at what Jason did, and and while he doesn't play a significant amount of time, you know, when he does come in, he still makes really good plays. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but you talk about him; he probably starts at a good majority of the schools around the country if he's not at Oklahoma State. And he said, yeah, he probably starts at 90% of the schools. 
easily. Yeah. I, I, I would, I, I don't think there's, you could go through the country right now and I don't know if there's 70% better safeties than, than Jason Taylor. Like, and, and, and I might be exaggerating a little bit, but there's certainly no better backups than Jason Taylor. And he, and he probably starts at a, a good, good, good majority of schools at, at safety. Yeah. I mean, this dude, I mean, I was saying, I was saying earlier, we were kind of talking off the air. That dude is, I mean, for sure, Oklahoma State's best backup player at any position, right? At, at any position. And luckily, it is at safety because of the way our defense plays. You, we need say, like, we need our safeties to be dominant on the field, right? Absolutely. When you have Colby and Trey playing the way that they do, and in the scheme they do, the safeties need to be there. And if one of those safeties, like we saw Trey leave the game due to ejection and miss the first half of the Tulsa game, well, if you're putting a guy out there that you're not necessarily comfortable in, or maybe isn't at that same talent level as the starters, the defense might suffer because a Trey Sterling or a Colby Harville Peel do a lot, mm-hmm. right? So when you have a guy that can go in and, and almost provide more production than the starters, not necessarily saying that he's better than the starters, but, I mean, he's he's right on their level, and he just has a, a knack of finding the ball. Right? The ball just ends up in his hands. So when you have a guy that can do that, it's it's I mean more than a luxury. It's it's a it's a blessing that you can you can do that. And I mean we have we have several positions where the backups are more than willing to go in and fill for the starters and not really drop off any production. But I mean we've seen that with some of our edge rushers right now with Colin Oliver and everything. But yeah, coming in and now you have a, a, a some really good defensive efforts from Ben Kapinski, a walk on defensive lineman and. Stuff like that. But, I mean, at, at the safety position, the way that we play defense, it is an absolute blessing to have Jason Taylor play as good as he does. Um, and, I mean, I think I think that there will be – we'll be seeing a lot more of Jason Taylor in, in multiple aspects, whether it be defense, special teams, whatever, because when he's on the field, he all he does is make plays. Yeah, you know, and, and you look at it, and I was talking to – I was talking to some other riders up in the box uh, at halftime. Jason Taylor, you know, could be around for an what is he a redshirt junior right now or is he a senior? Yeah, uh, I believe he is a redshirt junior. I think so too. But you look at it, and he's got you know you've got the COVID year as well. You know, so I mean, I think technically he might have two years left. Exactly by 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 like the rules of COVID and then redshirting when he was first here. But I'll, I'll tell you right now. Yeah, he so he came in and he came, I think eighteen is when he came in because he came in with uh, he came in with Colby. He was in the same class as Colby was. So yeah, right now, yeah, he's a redshirt junior, so um, he has two years left of eligibility. If he decides to come back next year, you know, let's say what for whatever reason he's like, you know what, I'm gonna I'm I'm coming back for another at least one more year because technically he is he is draft eligible. If he comes back for another year, he he has a chance of being one of the best defenders, at least in the Big Twelve. Because next year you you can't not start him next year. There there's no way he's not a starter next year. No, he is a definition of 
waiting in the wings, plug and play starter. Absolutely. That's, I mean, you, you have no issue with, I mean, in 99% of cases, if you were to say you're going to lose, and this is going to happen kind of all over the Cowboy defense, if you were saying that you were losing a three or four year starter at DB and you're like an all, an all big 12 guy, probably a mid round draft pick and whether Colby or Trey, whichever one you're talking about guys that are up for national honors and are among the best in the big 12. It's not very often that the next year you're like, nah, we're good. Like, I mean, how often does that happen that you're like, nah, no issues here. We're not, we're not complaining. We're not, we're not upset with what we have left behind. I mean, they are, I mean, I would have to imagine that they would be thrilled. Oh, sure. And I don't, and I have no idea why he would leave. I have to imagine that he, he knows the coaching staff, I'm sure is going to make him know or let him know that like, cause Colby and Trey are done after this year. Um, cause I mean, they're, they're seniors. They would, they would have to let, Jason Taylor know like yeah you're 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 the guy when they head out like this is your room this is your spot so I think I think him coming back would be smart for everyone and uh I think that it would it would be really really fun to watch him on an every snap every down role in this in this Mm -hmm. defense well and imagine imagine if Colby I mean now you look at his freshman year I mean he had 52 total tackles and forty four were true were, were solo stops. I mean, he was he was a nightmare on that back end. But imagine if he had a redshirted and he entered this year as a redshirt junior and both him and Jason Taylor came back on that back end. Oh my God. That's that right there. It's just like it's like Colby and Trey back there. I mean Yeah. It's I just mean, it's it's, it's almost crazy. it's almost the same idea as you have Malcolm and Amon, and then Amon leaves, and you have Malcolm and Devin. Malcolm and, and Devin, basically, yeah. I mean, it's basically the same tandem, right? You're getting the same production, and you're getting the same. I mean, I don't, I don't want to say necessarily the same exact talent level, sure. but you're not seeing any differences, which is really good. And I think that will the way that they've kind of constructed the defensive depth and the way they've recruited some of those positions i think we'll see that for the next couple of years where there isn't really a whole lot of drop off from year to year and guys graduating or going pro i mean where you talk about the young guys at defensive end like colin oliver okay well when hopefully trace gets healthy and maybe maybe he comes back next year um and then you have both of them together or it's like okay oh well at linebacker oh well Malcolm and Devin are done after this year. Oh, well, guess what? We have a Mason Cobb waiting in the wings. Yeah, and or Cameron, a and Bishop. Cameron Farrar's and coming. Cameron Farrar. So, I mean, yeah. you have, I mean, okay, well, Christian Holmes and Dark Bernard, they might leave this year. Oh, well, who's behind them? Oh, well, two guys that are playing like 50 snaps during the game and Kobe, Corey Black and Jabbar Muhammad. So, yeah. I mean, a lot of our backups play a lot. Because they rotate guys, they keep everyone fresh. They keep that's why our defense is so good most of the time is because everyone is is fresh. And I mean, you you never see Malcolm leave the field. You very rarely ever see Trey and Colby leave the field, other than like um, specific instances due to like injury or things like that. So the fact that they do have that depth waiting for them is going to be key. Yeah, you mentioned Malcolm leads the nation right now in in total tackles. 
and solo stops. He's got 29 total on the year, 18 solo stops. It's an average of 14 and a half a game. I mean, we Oklahoma State fans have seen it for a few years now, The just how good Malcolm is and, and the productivity that he's had. Well, it, it finally seems like it's he's going to get that national recognition. Um, what's so crazy about it is through through four years so far, he's he's closing in on three hundred total tackles, two hundred and seventy nine, and I I don't. Well, I think I think he's technically over three hundred now because they tweeted that today. Well, he's one of according to the according to what Oklahoma State tweeted today. He is now one of seven um, active players with more than 300 tackles in their career. Well, let's just let's just do a little math. I don't doubt them, but let's just do a little math. Let's pull up Malcolm here. All right, where's my trusty pin? There it is. All right, let's scroll, 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 because that means my math was off the other day. <laughs> Okay, recorded 11 total tackles as a freshman. Let's get a fresh sheet at 11. Scroll up. Sophomore, he had 83. Uh, Junior, he had 103. That's a six. There we go, 103. And then last year... Uh, he had a, is it 83? They don't have it listed in the bio. Uh, 82, 82 total tackles. 82. All right. So let's do a little math. We got 11 plus 83 plus 103 plus 82 is 279. So I just added those up. I didn't add the plus this year, 28. So 279 plus 28 would be over 300. Yeah, no, I just added the first three years. I just forgot to add the – I forgot to put the other bits. Plus 2080, setting at 307. Wild. I mean, you look at the impact that he has, and not just those. I mean, he'll he'll get his sacks, right? He doesn't have any so far. He'll, he'll get those. He's got one and a half tackles for loss, one forced fumble, three quarterback hurries. He's got one pass breakup. I mean, what he does, he is it's funny because I'm sure you I'm sure you heard uh what Malcolm had to say or not what Malcolm what Colby had to say about him. He said it and I play on the same side as him. He grabs everything. Selfishly, I want to make a couple more plays, but he's just grabbing <laughs> everybody. Everybody that runs through gaps. He be hip tossing linemen. I don't know what makes Malcolm so great. It might be intangible. He's smart. I know that's a big part of it. He's smart. He's a great tackler. It's true. Malcolm, I mean, if you look at the, if you watch every single play, Malcolm is going to be either at the ball or closing in on the ball at the end of almost every single play. It's it's, in, it's, it's insane. Really, my, I mean, when I, I'm a, I'm a football nerd. I'm a sports nerd. So I don't just like watching like the basics of sports and I know and I know there's other people out out there like this but I really like watching the details of of sports and and specific players including like what players are doing before during and after a play right when when you really look at some players like let's take 
Colby, for example. Mm-hmm. When you look at him, he's he's looking at the sideline, getting the getting the formation, getting the call, or whatever it is. And then he's kind of he he settles into his 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 hips, kind of leans back, and he, he's getting ready for the snap. And then as soon as it's snapped, he's he's trying to run somewhere, right? He's he's doing his job, but it looks like it looks like he's thinking, right? Which is which is good. I mean, obviously, you want him to be knowing what he's doing. When you look at Malcolm, everything is just so relaxed. Yeah, like it, he is never like looking around going like okay here's this guy here's that guy what am i doing with this it's just automatic it i mean when you really look at him he just kind of glances around and then he just kind of gets in his little squat at his linebacker position and then he's just i mean as soon as the ball is snapped it is just fired out of a cannon he trucks some dude gets up brushes his forearms off and then walks back to a spot there it's it is so fun to just watch him just work mm. And kind of go through just the effortlessness that he plays with while being so productive. And it's crazy because there are plays where it'll be on the opposite side of the line from him, right? So you, you'd think it would be Devin Harper over there or Mason Cobb at that time or, hell, one of the defensive linemen or edge rushers or whatever that's over there on that side of the line. Somehow Malcolm diagnoses it before anyone and shoots through a gap yeah. without rarely rarely having people touch him or, or stopping him and he just wrestles a dude to the ground and then he just gets up like it was just no big deal and like it's just everyday business which it is for him at this point and that's why i think it's so fun to watch him is just because of how how he goes about it it looks like he's not even it there, he has no struggles in what he's doing yeah you know and and i think what perfectly sums it up, you go you go to the post game, right? Each each post game, he's setting with an insane number of tackles, right? Missouri State, fifteen total stops, which I want to say was three more than any any that he had had. I think I think twelve was his max, and it was impressive. Nine solo stops. You know, he had six assists. He had a forced fumble. He had three quarterback hurries. He had a pass breakup, and he walks up on stage completely, just real pissed off. He's not. You can tell he doesn't really want to be there. He's not happy. Why? Well, barely won. They, we we let him score late. You know, we 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 didn't get a couple stops when we needed to. Well, that's Malcolm. You know, I mean, you look at you look at how long that defense was on the field. There were a lot of three and outs from the offense. That defense was out there a lot. So I mean. I don't, I don't fault the defense, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier before I, I, I'm sure I got off on the tangent. This defense, you've got to have more offensive production because there's only going to be so much this defense can do you know, b- yeah. before, before you start losing guys to injury. Before, because there's, you, you can't have a team on the field. Like, and I, I, it felt a lot longer but I think, uh, let's see, yeah, Tulsa had the ball 32 minutes. So, I mean, it's only it seemed like it was only it, it, technically four more minutes than what OSU had, but the problem was it came late. It, it seemed like Tulsa had the ball a lot late because Oklahoma State was just really struggling to move the ball. Yeah. You can't, you can't have the defense going out there. And, and one thing that really hurt him, it was, it was huge. Obviously, you give up a touchdown. And then on that touchdown, and, and the defense was on the field for quite a while anyway, 
at multiple minutes, at least two or three, give up a touchdown, and then LD runs back the kick for a touchdown to send the defense right back out onto the field. Now they came up with a stop, but and that's a that's a happy that's that's a happy incident, you know. But it's one of those things where the the offense has to get rolling. You can't you can't finish with 272 yards, just 99 on the ground. And and and, and here's the problem: it, not just 99 yards, but it was 99 on 43 attempts. Yeah, that's bad. That's not good at all. And if you go through, you go through all the rushers. I mean, that's through. Let's see one. That's five. That's five rushers. You can't you can't have that. The defense and 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 Malcolm. It maybe not every right to be upset following that Missouri State game, but. That's that's the kind of that's the kind of leader on my defense that I want. I just went out there and recorded 15 total tackles. He had 13 against Tulsa, and he comes in with a bit of an attitude because they didn't do enough. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what what a team leader would look like if you didn't think you were always like you were always working on something or could always do better. I mean, yeah, I think that, and I think that is going to be the exact type of thing that lands him on an NFL roster and probably keeps him in the league for a while. Oh, Malcolm's going right. to make a good amount of money. Yeah. I mean, when, when one, you're, you're putting up the production you want to know, there's going to be some people that say he's a smaller linebacker and is he six foot three, 250 pounds, 240 pounds? No, he's not, but that's not necessarily what the NFL is looking for anymore. I mean, when you look at, Patrick Queen, Devin White, I mean, Darius Leonard's pretty big, but I mean, a lot of these newer linebackers that play very similar to how Malcolm does, just like does not miss tackles, very good in the open field, very quick, very cerebral, all these things. Malcolm is going to be a hot commodity for teams, probably somewhere, if he finishes the season how we think he will, probably somewhere in the third or fourth round, right? I would think so, yeah. I think that, at I mean... On the high, high, high end, if he has a if he has a monster off season and a, a huge pro day, and and if he gets invited, you know, if he gets invited to Indianapolis, I could see maybe late second, but most likely third, the starting point yeah, of third. And, yeah, and I honestly, I think he'll run pretty well at the combine. I yeah. think I think he'll test athletically fairly well. Oh, agree. Um, so a freak athlete. Yeah. And then I think his mental side will be outstanding. Um, because I mean, he, he's a guy that there is no problems with his mental or with his no personal life. Very, very cerebral, very level headed uh, incredible football mind. So yeah, there's definitely no issue there. Yeah. But you look at you look at Boise, you know, and I've had this conversation a few times. Boise, Boise's a better team than Tulsa, obviously. If if the Oklahoma State offense goes out there and they do what they did against Tulsa and they wait late into the fourth quarter or late in the game into the fourth quarter to decide to start performing, Boise's not a team that's going to allow that to happen. They're 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 going to put up some points and they'll win. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have to kind of change our our kind of our offensive 
identity a little bit if we want to compete. We're going to have to either, one, change the way you run the ball so that you can get something going, whether it's changing who is running the ball, changing the protections on the running on running the ball, whatever those little nuances may be, or just start throwing the ball. I mean, I, I hope – now, we threw it 40 times with Shane and 26 with Spencer. Personally, I would like to see Spencer get that amount of throws. Agree. Get, get that 35 to 40. Not saying that he like that they need to do that, but I do think that the more you let him air it out, the more opportunities will open themselves for wide receivers – I mean, if you're attacking a, a nothing against Boise State, they probably don't have an elite secondary, right? They're good, but I if you're talking about putting 40 balls in the air, I'm going to lean towards Oklahoma State's receiving core over Boise State's secondary. Right? Yeah, and I, and I, I would agree if, with that. I don't know if you're in a, I don't know if you're in a similar boat or not, but I mean that's just based on what we've seen, our wide receivers, and this is a this is not just a this year thing. This is a last year, year before, year before that, year before that, year before that, and a decade before that. Our receivers produce. So if you give them enough chances, now the one thing you have to worry about when you're putting the ball in the air in that amount of times is making sure that it lands in your guys' hands, not someone else's hands, yeah. right? So it's kind of a you, – you have to – it's a mixture of – people executing on the field but also calling the right plays and just making sure that the offensive line is staying healthy and blocking and everything so they they will need to play their best so far this season in order to win this game which i think is very possible and most like and probably likely right because you actually have a full week of practice with spencer now with no interruptions due to covid you kind of solid, not solidify your offensive line, but you maybe have a little bit more of an idea of what you're doing there. You get Blaine Green back. Um, not sure what's going on with Tay Martin yet, whether he's going to be there, but, I mean, his injury wasn't all that bad. So right. it's very possible one would him. One would think he'd be back. Yeah, you would think. Um, and then you, you still have um, Jaden Bray looking like he's a stud already. And then you have John Paul Richardson in the mix who had a couple balls last week. Rashad Owens is there. Bryson Green so, with one of the yeah, most impressive I mean, catches in Boone Pickens history. Yeah. So, I mean, the receiving core is there. Yeah. I personally was a huge fan, and I've been a fan of him since the get-go. Last year, I'm a huge fan of Dominic Richardson. Mm-hmm. I really like the way he runs the ball. I hope we get to see some more touches from him because he just runs the ball angry, right? Agreed. I mean, he he stiff arms. He puts your shoulder and he puts his shoulder in your chest. Well, but he's also shifty. He's got good speed and he goes downhill. He's not trying to go east to west. He's trying to run it through you. So I think that's kind of the identity that we have. I think the LD sometimes can maybe go a little bit too east and west. Um, trying to bounce something and then kind of gets caught in his own kind of fleeing, fleeing of tacklers, maybe gets caught up a little bit. And then, I mean, obviously Jalen Warren, as we saw, is freaking Houdini out there. Yeah, and, no doubt. I mean, was doing the Irish jig in the middle of a, a run to to get to find some space, and he did. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they'll be looking to utilize that, especially in the passing game for the running back position. I feel like he's a huge weapon. So, I mean – 
those are just my things that I've noticed. It's like, okay, I really like Dom Richardson running the ball, and I really like Jalen Warren out of the backfield, and I, I think Dez is perfect for uh, when you when – you, because he can go slow or fast-paced, whether you're actually in a huddle or no huddle. He showed it last week. Obviously, first week he fumbled the ball, but then last week he was in there for like two complete drives in a row. He looked good. He was producing. He was getting the yardage. So hopefully they can kind of continue that trend. And then, I mean, the defense is gonna the defense is gonna be perfectly fine. And then we got to make sure we're making our kicks and doing everything we are on special teams. Well, hold on. I want you to I want you to I want you to tell the good people read yes. read the tweet that you sent out about Oklahoma State special teams. So according to PFF Pro Football Focus. Oklahoma State currently has the number one graded special teams unit in the nation Woo! out of all out of all D1 teams. So that's 330 teams or so. Um, and now some people on Twitter, some are joking, some are serious, of saying, like, I think that's fancy for we punt a lot. Uh, no, that is not the case. Yes, have we punted quite a lot? Yes, I think we're in, like, the top ten most punts out of FBS teams, uh, right? Seven, I believe. Uh, seven punts. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. The, so, I'll look up the stat, but right now we, there's seven we, punts. We've so. punted – I think we've punted 14 times, and I think we are sixth or seventh in the country in in most punts. Oh, yeah, I was seven um, on Saturday. That's my fault. Seven on Saturday. So, yeah. So, we punted – I think we punted seven and seven. So, we have 14 punts on the season so far. And – um, but yeah, I mean, they're doing good. It's on quality of play, not necessarily just quantity and no, the, the kickoff return affected that score, but it's not all of that score. It's the punt return, the kickoff team kick return. They're all playing very well, even though there may not be a whole lot of action at times because of touchbacks or fair catches, but everyone's doing their job and it's the small things like that, that can affect a game. Right. Um, so got to keep those things going and then just, just get the, just get the offense rolling and we'll be fine. I mean, this boys, this is a Boise state team that two weeks ago gave up a 21 point lead to use, uh, to UCF. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just so you know, uh, Oklahoma state, or at least Tom Hutton, uh, tied for fifth in the nation with 14 punts. There you go. What's crazy. <laughs> the, uh, New Mexico state, Josh Carlson has 22 punts for 952 yards. Which is wild, but if it yeah, makes you if it makes you feel better, Tom Hutton is thirty uh, first with forty four point two one yards per punt. So he's Which, I mean, he's it, he's doing pretty it's good. A good number. I mean, you're, you're talking about if you're punting from the goal line, you're basically putting them near midfield. So you're you're flipping. He's flipping the field, which is good. And, <laughs> and something he's never really had a problem with. They don't really allow returns on punts. No, they right? don't. They get down there quickly. Yeah, some good hang time. Yeah, and so um, those are just small details of the game that, that help you. Um, and, I mean, basically just Oklahoma State will win this game if they keep the ball in their own hands and just put together just – a couple drives in a row that are efficient and get you points. If you stay choppy and you don't really ever find a groove, then it's going to be tough to, to win this game. But whether it's through the air or on the ground or a mixture, if they find a groove of some sort for something that's working, I think they'll be perfectly fine. But that's a big if because we haven't seen it yet. Yeah, and that's and that's what's crazy is 
you know, you, you mentioned it, and Oklahoma State has to figure out the run game. There, there's, there's no doubt about it because if you want Spencer to be successful through the air, if you want to see the, you know, 30 to 40 passes or, or what, whatever it might, that number might be, you got to be able to successfully run the ball. And so far they have not. They, they have struggled running the ball. They, obviously they were a little bit better than they were in the Tulsa game than they were Missouri State, roughly 37, uh, I think, 37 more yards. Maybe twenty seven. I think it's probably twenty seven. Um, I know in the in the first game we averaged like ninety or we averaged one point nine yards a rush, and the Tulsa game we averaged three point three. So it got better, but Gundy wants it to be, or the coaching staff wants it to be between like four and four and a half yards a carry. Well, and that's and that's where it needs to be. You know, pushing pushing five. And and I think that's what frustrates at least it frustrates me the most, and and I've heard it a lot from fans, is you've got to you you have talent on the offensive line. It's not like you have a bunch of a bunch of freshmen and sophomores that have never played. And same thing with the running backs. And so, you mentioned it. You get a full full practice week this week with Spencer. You know the offensive line is is figuring it out bit by bit. Obviously, you get a guy like Hunter Woodard back, and that's a that's a big boost to an off a uh, big boost to an offensive line. Hopefully, the running backs can kind of figure it out a little bit more. Ah, uh, let's see. Score prediction. I'm gonna go. Give me. So Boise, at least right now. Let me double check because it's they're a four they're a four point favorite. Is it it's still four because it was four earlier today or four earlier this morning? I didn't know if maybe that had changed or not. Um, Big Twelve. It is so the ESPN app the ESPN app has three and a half. Oh yeah, three and a half now. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'll I think Oklahoma State covers obviously because I'm gonna pick OSU to win because on paper they're a better team. I don't know why it's not. I don't know why it's not translating on the field. But uh, on on paper, Oklahoma State's a better team. Uh, let's see. Robert had a thirty-one twenty-four. I I think I'm pretty close. Uh, yeah, I was, I was almost gonna have an exact. Not not exact. I say. I was thinking twenty-seven twenty-one. Is is say- is about where I'm at. I was going to say 34-23, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you're one of the higher ones, and it's not, not too far out of the realm. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be within 7 to 12 points either way. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. I, I, I could see that. I'm, I, I'm, I, and the only reason I'm going 27-21, because Boise's a better opponent than Tulsa, and I haven't seen Oklahoma State really turn it on. Now, obviously, against Tulsa, they scored those 21 points late and, and you know, solidified the victory. But I need to see more. I need to see a productive second and third quarter, right? You, the, good, the good thing is, for Oklahoma State's offense, is that Boise State gives up 455 yards a game. Yeah, and that's huge. That's huge. What are the, what are the, run, what are the run yards? 
they give up 180 yards rushing a game and I'll 275 yards pass. I'll take it because you look at the teams that Boise State has played so far. Now, UCF is okay. They're good. But it's not like Boise started out playing Penn State and Alabama. You know, they're not going up against world-beater offenses. So right. that's that's certainly promising for Oklahoma State and I look forward. To, I, I do look forward to this game. I, I don't look forward to the kickoff time because eight p.m. Ah, Central's is gonna uh, suck. I like the kickoff time, eight p.m. Well, it's you're like me, you're like give me all, do what? That's because you're young. You like staying up late. Yeah, no, I don't go to bed until like three a.m. every day. But uh-uh. this will be this will be normal. Um, but uh, it gives me all Saturday to watch other college football games. Um, but I. Uh, you know, I, I feel good about this game, um, especially since, uh, by by definition, Boise State's already lost to a Big 12 team this year. Technically, technically yeah. they have. Yeah, I mean, UCF, <laughs> UCF downed them. Um, our, uh, our future brethren already took them down. So, yeah. Um, I mean, they, they beat UTEP by a lot. It was like 54 to 13. Yeah, which but. Not really a football game. It's more of. Yeah. It's more of a backyard football game with like seniors and high school playing third graders. The hell but, of a scrimmage. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and then I mean UCF, which is a solid program. Um, I mean was down twenty one and then finally turned it on and, and came back to beat them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean their their game was thirty six to thirty one. I think it's I think it'll be somewhere in that range where like the the winner probably has somewhere between like. 28 and 35 and the losers probably sitting somewhere between like 20 and 27. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm excited for it. Yeah, I am too. And I was uh, just a quick hitter here before we, uh, before we move on, I was talking to my dad about Taylor Cornelius mm-hmm. who obviously, uh, beat Boise. That's the, uh, the first time that Oklahoma state had played Boise. This will be the second time. Do you know how many yards Taylor Cornelius had in 2018? But in that game or the season? In the in the in the whole season, because uh, you go back to that year, and there were a lot of people, a couple media outlets that were calling for for Corn to be replaced by Spencer. And and I I guess I get that. I mean, you look at he was a former walk on, and and Spencer's a four star, but. Taylor Cornelius went out completely. I'm going to say – wait, don't tell me, don't tell me. I won't tell you. I haven't looked at his numbers in a while. I'm going to say he threw for 4,200 yards. You're a little ambitious. Uh, yeah, but, I figured I would be. Like but, maybe, what, 36? Nah, not, not as ambitious. So as a, as a, a fifth-year senior playing for the first time, he completed sixty, nearly 60% of his passes – Threw for three thousand nine hundred and seventy-eight yards and thirty-two touchdowns. Okay, so I was, I was pretty close. I mean, I was three hundred off the first guess. I'm. I'll say this right now, and I've said it before, and I don't think I'll die on this hill. All right, and I don't think it's too hot of a. I don't think it's too hot of a take. You look at what Corn did in twenty eighteen. Threw for we'll just say sixty percent of his passes for four thousand yards. I understand that he had thirteen interceptions. I think is what that is either thirteen or twelve. I think it was thirteen. Basically, basically won a game. If you look at what he did after not playing virtually at all his entire career, being a walk-on from Bushland, Texas, he was supposed to start 
the Baylor game in 2014 instead of Mason Rudolph. If Corn plays every game that Mason plays, Taylor Cornelius is a Big 12 offensive player of the year. Taylor Taylor Cornelius is a better quarterback than Mason Rudolph. And he has a much, much better career than Mason Rudolph. Because you go back to 2017 when Mason had, you know, 2,000-yard receivers and a 1,000-yard rusher. And you go to 2019 when he had a tooth. When, uh, you know, you look at 2019 – well, and that doesn't matter, but I mean, if I, I wish Corn had had a, a another year because could you imagine a Taylor Cornelius twenty nineteen with uh with a two thousand oh yard goodness. and you look at what Tylen did before he got hurt, but yeah, you look at you look at twenty seventeen with what Mason had. Taylor has a stronger arm. He's got a better ball. He's got better touch. He's good over the. I mean, he can run. He's not. He's not a statue back there. And I like Mason. This isn't a. I'm, I'm not knocking Mason. I'm just saying that. If if Taylor Cornelius, this is the cons- this is the conspiracy hill that I'll die on. If Taylor Cornelius started every game that Mason did, Taylor is a he, he has a much better career than Mason does. Which is kind of crazy because Oklahoma State wasn't <clears throat> wasn't really wasn't really. Uh, well, how am I trying to phrase it? They were they did well with Mason. They it, weren't. Yeah, they did great. Twenty seventeen was solid. Yeah, but if you give the if you give the same weapons that and Taylor, I mean he's six six two thirty, you you give him the same weapons and the same the same opportunity as Mason does. And and I'll tell you this: if if Taylor would have gone to all the football camps and everything that Mason did, Taylor would have been a four star out of high school. I'm telling you, he would have he would have been solid solid. I I'm a give me Taylor Cornelius every day, baby. He was solid, solid. Yeah. All right, let's move on to mailbag, and then we'll we'll wrap up with a little bit of basketball and, and leave that basketball. I think there's at least one basketball in the mailbag. Leave that uh, just before we talk about the Big 12 schedule getting dropped. All righty, let's – I'm finding the mailbag because as soon as you said that, I clicked on something else. Isn't that how it works? That's how it always works. All right. Before which one? Leave the leave the basketball one. Like let let the, whatever basketball there is, read those last. We'll okay. we'll do the football first. All right. Well, the first one, and this is kind of uh, my alley. Um, any new football recruits to look out mm. for? Um. Well, in twenty twenty two class, in the class that they're going to be signing here in a few months, honestly, not really. Um. I mean, as far as new ones, no. Are there ones to look out for? Yes. Um, I will say, obviously, the biggest the biggest focus or concern right now is on the offensive line recruiting. Um, still keep an eye on Tyrone Weber out of New Mexico military. Big guy. Um, I, I really like him. And then one that I'm a big fan of is a guy that I actually found this summer. And when I found him, he had zero offers zero interest i mean well he had okay i think he had interest he didn't really have any he didn't have any offers and he was having kind of some preliminary talks with schools and that is offensive lineman quentin harris out of arlington seguin that that seguin football program has some some really good offensive linemen that went to this camp and i saw him and then 
then uh, the staff got around to him a couple, obviously a couple months later here, and uh, they just offered him a couple weeks ago. But with the 2023 class, I actually, as of in the past 30 minutes or so, they actually extended uh, two offers. Tim Duffy has been on the phone, and both of these are people that I know um, and people that we have talked about on Pokes Report before. Oh, so what you're saying is you need to get a Pokes Report premium subscription. That is exactly what you Okay, okay. One of them, um, everyone, I don't want to say everyone knows, um, if you watch Cowboy football and are in depth with recruiting, you will know a, a player by the name of Cam Smith, who was a uh, is a current true freshman here, a corner um, for the Cowboys. Well, they just offered his younger brother, who also plays corner in the 2023 class, who camped here over the summer. Um, really, really good athlete. He's about six foot one seventy. Um, well, there's something about there's something about Texas brothers. Uh, yeah, man, they they freaking love them. Um, kind of like a Corey and Kobe Black situation. Yeah, well, Kobe's going to be – Kobe might – I think Kobe might end up being a top three corner in the country. That dude is a freak. Yeah, he is. Um, but as far as Dylan, I mean, Dylan's kind of the same way. He's he's already big for, for his size. I mean, he's – like I said, he's six foot. He's got a lot of room to grow. His frame can take it. So if I were, um, if I were a betting man, which I am sometimes um, – I would go ahead and pencil in Dylan Smith as an Oklahoma State football player in the next couple of years um, just because of the, the family ties there. And I was just messaging with him, and he uh, um, said that, uh, that it was the best feeling ever that was, was getting, that, getting that news. So um, that's one. And then the other one is uh, from a school that you may or may not know the name of called Frisco Lone Star. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we uh, might have might have a quarterback commit from there, and we might have a true freshman running back who happened to go there last year. Um, and that true freshman running back, that true freshman running back's dad. By the way, we're talking about Jaden Nixon as running back. Um, his dad actually texted me a couple weeks ago and said, "Hey, we've got this kid named Jalen Braxton, real deal cover corner, all this stuff." Well. Now Oklahoma State has offered Jalen Braxton. Where I think we're like his eighth offer. Um, plays corner, wide receiver, kick return, punt return. Really good athlete. Um, so he said uh, I was just messaging with him as well, and he said um, he said uh, it gives a little extra interest because Jaden is there and Garrett's going there, and he said that uh, he wants to go to a school that that actually wants him and that one that you get to compete as a freshman. And he said, from what he's seen at Oklahoma state, um, they've got several freshmen playing on the field, which he likes. And he said, Oklahoma state doesn't just offer anybody. So the offer feels special to him. So, I mean, with things like that going around in the, in the DFW market, I have to uh, say that those are probably two to look out for because you have a little brother of a current player and a player that goes to a pipeline, which we have great success at. So I would go ahead and, and pencil in some some possible uh, visits in the very near future and um, some possible commitments or decisions over the next months or a couple months here during this season. I'm sure that uh, these are the kind of ones that they the Oklahoma State staff would probably like to move quick on. So that's kind of the update on recruiting. And then with other questions we have here for you, we have a question about – um, 
is football. Can this Oklahoma State offense be salvaged this year? And we kind of touched on that. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the the issues they have are very fixable. Yeah. It, it basically is just, I would say, and I would say that everyone would agree, the biggest issue right now is just the running game. Um, and we, we did see an improvement, whether it looked like it much on the field, kind of is up to each individual person. But on the stat sheet, we saw them go from 1.9 yards of rush to 3.3. So obviously there was an improvement there. I think they keep going with that. And I think they I'm not saying they're going to be perfect by any means, but I do think they'll improve to where they kind of settle in around the numbers they want to be at. And it looks like a smoother offense um, because if they don't do that, I don't know what they're going to do. So they better hope that they do that. Yeah. And that's the thing. I, I This, this offense, I mean, I, it's not completely broke. Right, I mean, we're we're two games in now. You obviously, you obviously want him to be doing better. So, can it be salvaged? Yes, but not in the sense that this offense is completely lost and completely broken and completely destroyed. No, it's not like it's not like this week they were throwing a completely new playbook at the team and like trying to figure out new personnel and starting from scratch. I mean, the 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 issues they have are issues that every team has at some point during a year. And you might be good at run blocking, but struggle at pass blocking. You might be good at pass blocking and struggle at run blocking. And they're just trying to find the the fit and mesh everyone together to where both sides are balanced. And so, I mean, it, it's a it, it, you would hope that that stuff works itself out in the fall. But when you start playing real opponents, you you learn what your real mistakes are. So and what your real kind of growth points are. So that's what they're doing right now, and that's what non conference is for. And I mean, Boise State's a pretty good team, so we're going to figure out how much they've improved in the last week. Yeah, and and I think this plays, um, this discussion right here plays into into one about Spencer, and I'll read it. I've got it pulled up. How much more time do you give Spencer to see if he's made that leap in his fourth year in the program before you go to Illingworth? I, I, I said it throughout the spring, and I said it throughout the summer, and I'll continue it right now. This, this is Spencer's job to lose, right? Uh, he Spencer is the starting quarterback. However, what I said throughout the spring and what I said throughout the summer and fall camp is that you give Spencer until the first couple of games of Big 12 play. Say he's just all right during during non-conference. He's just okay. He's not, he's not wowing you. You can't really tell a difference, but they're still winning then he obviously goes into Big 12 play. Now, if he goes into Big 12 play and he plays like he did against Tulsa, he's just okay, he's just all right, and you're losing ball games because he hasn't shown the transition then the first two games of Big 12 play. Like, if you go into if you go into Kansas State and he's all right and you you get past Kansas State and you win. Let's say you 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 beat Boise State and you go into Kansas State and you find a way to get past Kansas State but Spencer is just okay, then you allow him to play Baylor. You allow him into that Baylor game. But if he if he's struggling, now I think you have to take that with a grain of salt because he just he's only had one game. I think it'd have been different if he'd have play, if he'd have had that Missouri State game as well as having that Tulsa game. I think if he has two non-conference games, then it's obviously different going into Boise because I think that you see some of that progression. 
Now, if he goes out there against Boise and he struggles, you know, and he can't move the ball and the run game is still struggling, then then I don't know. I you know, if if you find a way to win and then you, you beat Kansas State, but that's that that's my answer. I think that as long as he's winning, then I think he'll then that he'll continue to be out there. But if he's just doing enough and they lose a game, I don't know how much longer the coaches can afford to keep him out there without because at that point if if he's if he's just all right, he's doing enough and you're losing, at that point why not try Shane? That's that's my thought on it. Yeah, I mean, I would I would have to basically agree with everything you said. I mean, they they they're giving him the benefit of the doubt and, and he's not the only player on on the team right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. I mean, I I would have to imagine that LD's in the same boat. We kind of talked about that a little bit. Like if LD's not not getting the runs that he needs to, or maybe it's some of the offensive linemen that are maybe on the on the on the hot seat a little bit. I would not say that would be Danny Godlewski or Josh Sills. Um, but I mean, at some of those tackle positions, they're kind of moving them around. Obviously, they don't have a solidified one yet. I have a feeling that they will in the next week or so. Yeah. Um, but they're trying people out, and I don't think they're afraid to do that. Um, no, and that's I and mean, I think you know, I, we I said would it think, last week. I mean, I don't think LD's everything... the starter moving like yeah. halfway through the season, and and it's not a knock on LD. No, I, th- I just, think it could a, be Dez or Jalen. Yeah, I mean, I think that I, I I do think that they're they're they are struggling at running back right now, and there probably needs to be a change now. I. Which one of the other three you give the nod to, I have no idea. But again, it's kind of one of those things like and when I look at football, I don't necessarily just consider a starter the person that starts the first snap of the game. In my opinion, a starter is the person that that position that plays the majority of the snaps. It's a bulk like of the on, snaps, on, absolutely. Like on, on purpose. Like absolutely. if that is their – not someone that gets hurt and then plays 70% of the snaps. No. Someone that in the game plan, you are supposed to be on the field more than the person behind you, right? That's that's is a starter in in my definition normally, right? Um because I mean, you may start LD on the first snap of the game and he plays the first drive, but then he may not get another full drive until like the third quarter, right? So, it's something like that. Um I don't know who you start, but I do think that you need to make a, a kind of a switch up or a little bit of a shift there. And I mean, Spencer fits into that as well. If it's, if it's working then you, whoever, I mean, it basically whoever has the hot hand you go with. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I, mean, I think that that'll, that'll be the case. And I do think that both running back and wide receiver will get the hot hand um, at running back. Your guess is as good as mine. Of, of who that'll actually end up being and it'll it might be different from game to game i think uh, that and, they, and they've and they've talked about that before basically they're gonna give everyone their chances at some point in the game and whoever's making it work is gonna get the nod and i mean the next saturday it might be someone different which is not necessarily a bad thing because it kind of keeps defenses on their toes of who they're going to be facing so it we they have some problems but 
some of them are not the worst problems to have, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I don't think LD will be the starter before the end. Of, well, I, I don't think he'll be listed number one on the depth chart uh, by the end of the season. I think by the time we get, you know, two to three games into Big 12 play, I think you, I, I would like to see Dez get more touches. I want to see if, you know, what that's all about. I think Jalen is has definitely earned more carries. I want to see I want to see Dominic Richardson get more touches. I think he's I think he's earned more touches. I think he's deserved more touches. I think that in order to I know you don't just give players touches in order to keep them happy per se, but I think he I think he deserves touches, you know, in order to kind of uh, keep him keep him satisfied. And and I'm not saying that he's going to transfer. I'm not saying that he's not happy, but when you have a guy as good as him in the four deep, I I think you look to find to, I think you look to find ways to get him touches. Um, But I, I I think by the time you get past the Baylor game, you could see Jalen or Dez. And I I said Dez a few weeks ago, right now it's looking more like Jalen. But that that obviously could change. And and again, I'd love to see LD pick it up. You know, I, I'd I'd love for I'd love for LD to, to keep that spot. So it is what it is. Uh, what's the next one? The next one is. Let me take a look here. I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. Um. Okay, this one's kind of we we hear this a lot, and yeah. I'm just gonna so. How bad does the program have to perform before you quit making excuses and start to hold Gundy accountable? Well, I wish I knew what your definition of performance was. Yes. Considering you look at you look at what Gundy has done and and okay, all right. You Gundy probably has not performed at the higher level that he should. Right now, you go back a few years ago, there was the the question from Mike Holder whether or not that they're recruiting at the level they should. I mean, I don't think I can necessarily agree with that. I think that that whole argument was they're not bringing in four and five stars like OU and Texas and some other programs that are that are more powerhouse. Now, you go back to the pandemic year a year in which you lose three starting offensive line, well, two starting offensive linemen and a, and a rotation probably a first guy on the field, rotational player, offensive lineman before the season even starts. You lose two starting offensive linemen in the first game. You lose a starting quarterback in the first game. Uh, your 2000 yard rusher, is banged up all year long, has a few surgeries before the season starts. Can't can't hardly do anything because he's injured most of the season. You lose your starting right tack, tackle who was a second rounder at the o, in the OU game due to a, a back injury. And you win 8 games. In a COVID shortened season you win 8 games. If you have non-conference, they win 10. You went you're a, you're at 10 games that year. So I mean, I don't – and if if Spencer doesn't turn the ball over one time against Texas, you you beat a Texas and, – and, and that's the thing. You lose to Texas 41-34 in overtime. 
that was a pretty athletic Texas team. I'm not saying that it was yeah. a, a top 10 Texas team by the end of the year, but it's a very athletic Texas team that you took to overtime. And OU, yeah, I mean, my OU was an anomaly. I mean, OU was just there. They were really good, and you had a lot of injuries in that game. Now TCU, I, I <laughs> that was a bad game. That was a terrible game. Yeah, that was that was a bad game. But my my thing is like over the past couple of years, Oklahoma State has been by by definition of Oklahoma State standards has been in a down stretch. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Losing four to five games a year, winning eight or nine. Right. Fair. So by by definition of elite, yes, they have been down. By definition of average college football, they above have average. been above average, right? Now my my thing now, play calling, obviously that's a coaching thing, right? Now Gundy doesn't call plays, but that's still it, it is a coaching issue right agree it, whenever there is play calling issues whether it be offense or defense that, i think you can put you can put, he may not call plays but you can put it, you can put that on the head coach yes you, yeah you can put offensive play calling on the head coach even if they're not the ones signaling in the place right agree, agree. completely understand that when when there's obviously an issue with the play calling 100 understandable put that on the coach which there has been issues with right there we have noticed in in at certain times that there has been some some questionable calls or maybe some some odd ideas or schemes they're rolling with against certain opponents but my thing is is kind of what the different reasons why individual coaches are criticized right because sometimes i feel like and this isn't just gundy sometimes i feel like fans of specific fan bases if you don't have a guy named Nick Saban or Kirby Smart or Lincoln Riley, they just criticize their coach because they kind of feel like it. Yeah. Right. Not necessarily because there is an actual issue because now I'm in the student section this year in the games during the first game, Shane had Vernon Presley open down the middle overthrows him by a few yards. Right. Right. Just uh, there the play call was great. Brendan got open. If they would have connected, it would have been like a fifty-yard touchdown. Play call was great. Route was great. Throw was just a little bit far. Right, just didn't connect on it. It happens. Well, the crowd on on the student section side starts chanting "Fire Gundy." What what does an overthrown football on a go route have to do with the head coach? Right. That's the kind of stuff that when I. When I see this, and it's not just Gundy, it's other. I mean, I'm an LSU fan. People are calling for Ed Ozron's head too. Like, with issues that aren't necessarily play calling, when it comes to execution, in my mind, normally that is not on a head coach or a specific coach because you, if someone misses a tackle or if someone overthrows a ball or if someone fumbles the ball that's not a coaching issue that's just an execution issue does that make sense yeah no yeah absolutely it if there's a play calling issue or if there's just a a player personnel issue or whatever coaching issue for sure that that is a coaching responsibility if there is just a lack of execution that's a player issue now if you keep someone out there that is a lack of execution then that may turn into a coach issue but we haven't seen that yet yeah uh, that's like someone that, that is repeatedly just 
like stinking it up and they leave them in just because they feel like it. That'll be the that next. Has not yet. That'll be the next two to three weeks. And I'm not saying yeah. that, that that we'll find out. We'll figure out over the next two to three weeks whether or not there needs to be a change made at quarterback. And I like Spencer. I, I think Spencer is athletic. Uh, I myself am very curious to see if he has made those progressions. We didn't see too many of them against Tulsa. Is that going to be fixed against Boise State? Yet to be seen. Now, if Oklahoma State finds a way to beat Boise State and Spencer's at the helm, then he'll get he'll get a chance going into into Big Twelve play. Now, you want to drop you? Oh, I hear you. You're okay. Now I want to hear you look at you know at what what is the how bad does the program have to perform before you quit making excuses? I we hold Gundy accountable. There there are issues that need to be fixed. There are you know is Gundy the best coach in college football? No. I've said it before. You'd be foolish to think that Mike Gundy is the best coach for Oklahoma State. Because there are always going to be better options at everything. Now, obviously, the the one-off is Nick Saban. Good luck, right? Good luck trying. But there's always a better coach out there for your job. Is he a good fit for Oklahoma State? Sure. He's an Oklahoma State guy. He loves the program. He's going to do anything and everything he can. Just look at look at the, the final record every single year. Now, do you chalk up? Oklahoma State success to strictly beating OU. If you do, you got issues. That's I understand. I, I I was born in Stillwater. My folks have multiple degrees from Oklahoma State. I obviously cover Oklahoma State from multiple facets. I love Oklahoma State. I really really enjoy covering them. I enjoy watching them. And I I don't like OU as much as the next person. Okay, and that's and that's just a that's a fan aspect. I respect the hell out of them. Because they're very good, Lincoln Riley, great, great coach. They have great facilities. They have great recruiting, great players, all that stuff. But if the if you measure Oklahoma State success simply whether or not you beat OU each year, you got issues. I'm sorry. Now, for how bad the program has to perform, if you start having multiple seasons in a row where you're looking at six to seven wins and that's it, you you struggle to win Big Twelve games. All right, that's that's where I'm at with that. That hasn't been the case. And and honestly, I don't I don't look at recruiting rankings, but if you look at the players that have been brought in the past 2 or 3 years and you look at the players that are coming in in this class, they are better athletes overall than the past 5 or 6 years. I think that Absolutely. I think the the direction the program is going is very very good. Now, how much longer is it might Now, Mike Gundy in order for Mike Gunny to, to get fired, you would have to have like two seasons of zero wins, like two or three plus seasons of like zero to three or four wins. And that's obviously not going to happen. Mike Gundy is going to leave this program at whatever point in the next, you know, I would say within the next 50, at some point within the next 15 years, a hell of a lot better, astronomically better than what he found it, what he was given. And the next head coach that comes in is they're going to have a great program and they're going to be able to inject new blood into that program. And, you know, and Mike Gundy said it three or four years ago, it's going to take Oklahoma State 10 to 15 years to consistently be in the top 10 to 15. And they're about halfway there. So, um, 
I and and that's the the problem you get into is you have two sets of Oklahoma State fans. You have the and, and when I say older, I don't necess, I don't necessarily mean age. There is that group, but you have the the older style Oklahoma State fans that lived through the struggle, lived through the winless years, uh, that lived through the sanction years, that lived through the the early early Gundy where making a bowl game you were excited as hell, and then all of a sudden you win some bowl games, you know, and then. It, it, it's it's still climbing up, and, and you're disappointed in, in certain outcomes, but you love Oklahoma State, and you understand that where you're at is a hell of a lot better than where you were. Now, the good thing about that, the direction of the program, is you have a new-aged class of Oklahoma State fans that have really only ever known Oklahoma State success. They've, they own, they, they've started right around 2010 2011 Justin Blackman Big 12 championship Brandon Whedon Fiesta Bowl you know you and then you bring in a James Washington and and you have all this these huge amounts of success and that's there that's the two classes of Oklahoma State fans and so there are some older fans that would rather see Gundy move on but again i mean what we're seeing right now is it's pretty it's pretty damn good. Just because you struggle through a couple of games doesn't mean that Mike Gundy needs to be fired. All right, I'm just gonna put the, put the put pump the brakes on that one. All right. Yeah, and and kind of back, you know, I'll just touch on this last thing, and then we can move on. Um, on on plays where there's a lack of execution, or you miss a deep ball, and then the student section or a part of the crowd is yelling like "Fire Gundy! Fire Gundy!" If they would have connected on that play, the crowd would have been praising Shane and Brennan. Absolutely. Or praising the play call in that situation. Not necessarily, they wouldn't have been praising Gundy because they would have said, oh, well, it's expected. In that situation, most people are like, well, the Gundy didn't call the plays. He didn't, he didn't do that. Like, he, didn't, he wasn't out there throwing the ball. But when it's a missed throw, then all of a sudden it's the coach's fault, which most coaches talk about the fact that, like, they understand that. And, I mean, Gundy's been doing this long enough, and was the was was in the quarterback shoes at one point. He knows all about it. He yeah. knows what he's what to expect from fans, and I I really don't think it phases him at this point. But I mean, it's kind of like you you can't have it both ways. You have to you're either you're either criticizing the coach all the time or criticizing the coach. I, I say none of the time, not necessarily none of the time, but when it's when it's called for, right? When when there is an actual issue with coaching, I, I really don't like the whole thing of blaming other people on lacks of execution of others. And that's not just football. That's any sport or any business of just blaming someone at the top because someone at the bottom or in the, the line of work is messing something up. So that's just my take on it. I mean, are there issues? Yeah. Do I think they'll get them figured out? Yeah, eventually. But I, I also don't think that there is anyone better at this moment to go find to lead a program here at Oklahoma State that can do what Gundy can do it at this very moment. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, I, I'm not saying that there's a better coach right now that you know that needs to replace Gundy, but you know, I mean, that's any job except for at least one in Alabama. 
You know, there's always going to be a better yeah. coach, but, but I mean, Mike, Mike Gundy's a great fit right now. Everyone's going to say, everyone's going to say, like, oh, we'll go hire um, Matt Campbell or go. Yeah, yeah, we don't have the money for that. Like, the, the, Matt Campbell is going one of like three places this off season. He's going, or or whenever he leaves Iowa State, one of them's called the NFL. Yeah. One of them goes by the name of University of Southern California. And then maybe like an SEC school that opens up in the next couple of years. It's either NFL or Blue Blood for Matt Campbell. It, yeah, it's, it's NFL and perennial contender. A handful, is, a handful of programs. And here's the thing. Like, like if he, schools. like if James Franklin from Penn State goes to USC, then that's, that's the kind of job that Matt Campbell is in line for. Yes. Fill in a blue blood that just lost a coach to a blue blood. So if that's, he, if that's he's where not, we're at. If he's not standing on the sideline of the freaking like, Jaguars and two. Yeah, if he, yeah, if he's not, if he doesn't go to the NFL, he, he's going to a place like, you know, he's, he's going to where a blue blood paid, that loses a coach to a blue blood. He's going somewhere to get paid $10 million a year. Easy. Yeah, in the NFL, no doubt about it. So now, out of out of just last thing, and then we'll move on. I keep I keep saying that. If there was a head coach that if Gundy just decided tomorrow that he was retiring, my first vote is Jim Knowles. Oh, 100 percent. I hundred percent support in the future. Whether whenever whenever Gundy says I'm done, if Jim Knowles is still around, that's my vote for who I want as head coach. Oh my gosh! I'll tell you, if Jim Knowles is even if he isn't still around, if he's not a head coach somewhere, if he's a coordinator, yeah, you you hire him back. Number he's number one on the list. Even if he is a head coach somewhere else, he Jim Knowles is number one on my list to replace Mike Gundy at whatever point Gundy decides to leave. Absolutely, yeah. That's I'm. I'm glad you brought that up because Jim Knowles is a hundred percent on top of my list. Uh, Oklahoma State announced. Well, not Oklahoma State. They put out a release, but the Big Twelve announced the uh, Big Twelve basketball schedule on Wednesday. Oklahoma State has a pretty tough start, man. Uh, January. Oh, it's a brutal start. Absolutely brutal start. <laughs> January one on the road at Tech. That'll be interesting. I'm curious to see what Tech can looks you, like. Can you can you read off the first like five or six conference? Yeah. Games? So you start January one. It's a Saturday against Tech. That's. I'm curious about Tech. I don't know how good they're going to be. New coach, new look. I don't know about that. You come back January fourth to Tuesday. You host Kansas. That Saturday. You host Texas. You go to Morgantown on January 11th. You host defending national champion Baylor on the 15th. You got TCU at home on the 19th. And you go to Texas on the 22nd. I mean, my So just read, 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 off, those school, read off those schools again real quick. Jesus. Just like a little bit. You start against Tech, you host Kansas, you host Texas, you go to West Virginia, you go to Baylor, you got TCU at home, and then you go to Texas. I mean, no thanks. <laughs> Hard pass. Yeah, that's just like a it, – it's just a brutal beginning. Well, and then that's a that's a huge gauntlet. And then, you know, you you wrap up January with Iowa State. That's at home, and and Iowa State—they're not the Iowa State they were 
you know, multiple years ago, but it, it's still Big 12. It's still good. And then you've got February 2nd, you go to Kansas State, and you got Bedlam at home, February 5th. You go to TCU, February 8th. You got West Virginia at home, fe- February 12th. You got a big Monday game at Kansas, February 14th. You've got Kansas State at home, February 19th. You got a big Monday game, February 21st against Baylor. And then you've got OU on the road, February 26th. You got Iowa State on the road, March 2nd. And then you wrap up conference play March 5th against Tech at home. So it, I mean, there's really no. There's no break. No, I mean, the 26th and then the second against K State, but in between that, you go to Florida. I mean, Big 12 play this year is going to be really, really tough. And I'll be curious. I This obviously is not a Cade Cunningham basketball team, but you bring back guys like Isaac Likely, Bryce Williams, Rondell Walker. Uh, you look at Kayla Boone, Keelan Boone. I, I'm looking forward to seeing what Chris Harris and Donovan Williams brings to the table. You got Matthew Alexander. And then you bring in transfers like Bryce Thompson, who was one of the best players in that 2020 class. I'm really, really looking forward to seeing if he can bounce back from a an injury-filled freshman season at Kansas. Tyreek Smith out of Texas Tech, I think, adds a, a bit of a spark. Obviously, Musa Cisse out of Memphis. I'm excited to see what he can do, the AAC Freshman of the Year. So, I mean, you've got a good-looking team. Uh, Avery Anderson, I think. Pretty sure I forgot to mention him. My God, uh, Avery is going to be one of the best players in the Big 12 this year and one of the better players in the country. Th- this team has the potential to be really good this year. Just need to see if you can put it all together without a Cade Cunningham. Yep. I mean, it, that, that's hard to do. It is. Um, I mean, it's when you, when you kind of look at what Boynton's been able to – do in previous seasons without Kate, obviously this is going to be his most talented roster since being here outside of having Cade. So turning that into production will be something we, I, I'm looking forward to see, but I mean, you, you in theory have all the pieces you need to, to cover all of your wants and needs across the floor. Yeah. And 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 that's... I think we I think we won like eleven conference games last year. I think we went like eleven and seven or something like that. Uh, I've got it right here. Let me click on twenty twenty one. I'll click go. Uh, they were eleven and seven in conference play. So I think that that's probably. I mean, that was obviously with Cade minus like one or two games. I think eleven and seven is probably a pretty good goal if you're if you're doing what you did last well, year. Well, especially with how good the Big Twelve looks this year. Yeah, that, that, and that and that's my point is like you're you may not as be I think you're probably a deeper team this year, but you may not be as good just on the surface as last year, just because obviously you lose Cade. But I mean, it, this team could surprise us. They could go and just like rattle off fourteen and whatever. Or I mean, because the Big Twelve is tough, they might only win like eight. We don't. I mean, there's there's no telling this conference, uh, it's almost like impossible to actually make predictions in this conference with basketball because 
if they have so many teams that you could like let's say that you could legit say like oh yeah that team's gonna win 60 or 70 percent of their games and then it's like oh well that team could too oh yeah. wait, shoot that that team could too so i mean that's a majority of the big 12 it yeah it's it's a gauntlet and it'll be it, it'll it'll remain that way from i mean i wouldn't be surprised to Again, like last year, I mean, how, I don't know how I don't remember how many Big Twelve teams made the tournament, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised this year to see most of them pushing at least for a spot. Yeah, you look at it. Um, if you're in the top six of the Big Twelve, chances are you're going. Certainly, the top five, but usually within the top six, you're going to the NCAA tournament. And depending on the year, you could see seven. But typically, you typically you're going to see at least six, uh, definitely five, sometimes six. So, uh, Big Twelve looks to be a gauntlet this year. I'm I'm excited. I can't wait. Now that the Big Twelve schedule is out, uh, really any day, I I expect to get an email from from basketball setting up a media availability because we're we're almost there. We're halfway through September. The season starts in November. I can't wait. This this is going to be a fun year. I'm really looking forward to it. They start off uh, November 9th, I guess November 5th. It's an exhibition against UCO, but uh, they really kick. Excuse me, they really kick the schedule off November 9th. UT Arlington, a little over a month away, baby. Cannot wait. Super pumped. Uh, can't wait for Saturday. Really looking forward to it. Uh, for those of you that are listening, Marshall and I we will be on the Orange Nation tailgate show at three o'clock on Saturday. We'll be live at the hideaway. Really looking forward to that. We'll be there from three to five previewing the show. We're going to, we're going to try to line some people up. I'm going to look to try to get Eli Letterman back from the Tulsa world. We had him on for the Missouri state game. Uh, we did not have anybody on last week. That 6 a.m. Call time, man. Ooh, that was rough, but uh, looking forward to it. Uh, it's going to be a fun game day. Again, that's uh, the Orange Nation Tailgate Show on Triple Play Sports Radio. Uh, you can get that at TriplePlaySportsRadio.com, or you can download the Triple Play Sports Radio app. Uh, and there are five signals. You've got uh, 93.1 and 93.3. You've got 105.1 here in Stillwater. 93.1 is in Stillwater as well. 93.1 and 105.1 in Stillwater. 93.3 in Ponca. And then you've got 10 a, uh, 1020 and 1580 a.m that you can listen to that as well. So we, we kick off 12 straight hours of coverage on game day on Triple Play Sports Radio. So really looking forward to that. Marshall, any any final thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, no. I'm, uh, I think we covered a lot. I think we did too. Looking forward to it. Uh, it's been the Pokes Report podcast. Be sure to check out PokesReport.com. Pick you up a Pokes Report premium membership for Marshall Levinson, I'm Zach Lancaster. We'll talk to you next time. Uh, we're going to probably put one out uh, either Sunday evening or it'll for sure come out on Monday. We're going to have a post-game reaction. So for the Pokesport Podcast, I'm Zach Lancaster. We will talk to you next time here on PokesReport.com.